Great. Well, my name is Eric Wenzel. Um, it's a pleasure to be up here with you this morning. I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at King's Cross, and um, this is my, my third time now being asked to, to come and share some words, and um, I'm really excited about the opportunity. My wife, Risa, and I live in Sterling. I am a teacher at Sterling High School by trade, and I'm um, here to um, share some, some thoughts with you this morning, and I'm, I'm thankful again for Caleb giving the opportunity. Uh, we've been spending some time on this sermon series of Grace Upon Grace, and I've been making our way through the book of Genesis, looking at some individual characters and of just how God has shown continuously his grace poured out to them. And I think Caleb really worded it well last week of just saying that, that what we're really noticing in these is that God is meeting with each of these people in the midst of their brokenness. Not when they figured things out, not when they're all put together and everything's going well, but he's meeting them in their brokenness where they are at. And we're going to see that theme continue this morning as we make our way through. But um, before we get into our, our verses, I want to share quickly um, the name Grace um, is actually a family name in my family. Um, it, it's traced pretty far back. This is a picture of my, my grandmother. Um, and so anytime I hear the word Grace, I, I do think of her. Um, she was an amazing woman. Um, she, the, the name Grace itself means favor or blessing, and she absolutely was to everybody she interacted with. She was a pastor's wife. She was a mother to seven kids and a grandmother to 16 and so many more great-grandchildren on top of that. Um, and what, was, what I loved so much about her is she was so intentional with everybody that she interacted with. When I graduated high school, my um, grandpa and grandma moved in with us. And so during my college years, um, whenever I came home to visit, they were there living with my parents. And um, it, it offered some amazing opportunities to be able to grow in my relationship with them and... Um, Near the end of my, my grandmother's life, she had some health complications and had a couple strokes. And during one of them was when I was home for summer. And during that time, I was doing some internships with um, youth ministry. And we had a pretty major event, kickoff event coming up when, when her stroke occurred. And so after that, I went and saw her and visited her in the hospital. She was having a lot of memory problems and was just, you could tell, recovering and even speech being slurred. There was a lot of just... Um, cohesion that wasn't really taking place like she normally had. And I remember when I went in to see her and of knowing that was the case, of fully just expecting to be able to see my grandmother again, not expecting anything in return. And, and as soon as I arrived, she said, Eric, how did the event go? And it just has stuck with me to this day that even through her um, in and out of what was actually cohesive or not and a recognition of people, she still had a heart for wanting to care for what exactly was taking place in my life. Okay, and it is, it is something that's carried through um, more and more. Um, I, love, I love that song we just sang, The Blessing, and the, the bridge when we talk about generations and children and children. Um, I think about my grandma a lot in that. And this picture on the right is actually her, my nieces and nephews and kids, um, her great-grandchildren. Unfortunately, mine are not able to meet her. Um, but this is a picture of us in California this summer where my grandparents lived most of their life. And we're at a, a park here. This is at a church that my grandpa served at for a long time. And there's a sign on the fence. You can't really read it from here. It says Grace Park. And it says, named in honor of, of Grace Thingball. And um, it was amazing to be able to take our kids there and to just show and talk about what an amazing woman she was um, and what a blessing she was. And I know that her impact on so many people carries through to our kids today, even though they didn't have a chance of meeting her there. So I wanted to share that um, just in regards to grace and um, kind of the, the impact it's had on my life. 
We're going to jump back in um, to the book of Genesis today. If you would turn with me to Genesis 32, 22 through 32, we're going to be taking a look again back at Jacob and an interaction that he's going to have um, um, coming up. So again, Genesis 32, 22 through 32, I'll read it aloud. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And as we like to say here at King's Cross, to to separate God's word from our own, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So to do a a quick catch up to this point, um, we've seen Jacob now a few times in our stories. We we know that he has lived a very deceitful life, um, early on manipulating the birthright from Esau when he traded him for a bowl of soup. Um, Soon after that, stealing a, a blessing from Isaac that was meant for Esau. Okay, we see that Jacob has has led a deceitful life in those ways. And at that point, he begins to leave home and is sent to go find a wife um, from and, and living with his, his uncle Laban. Okay, and on this journey, he has a dream receiving God's blessing. We, we heard about that a couple weeks ago, and that within that blessing, he has promised many descendants, protection, and a return back home someday. And that's going to be key for what we're seeing here today, protection and a return back home. While he is gone, he's deceived by his father-in-law, Laban. He works seven hard years, and Laban sends in Leah to marry him instead of Rachel, who he was promised. He works another seven years in order to marry Rachel. God continues then at that point to grow Jacob's flock. We can see sort of this promise, this blessing coming forward, in that no matter what Laban says to change or to do, Jacob's flock continues to grow. Over this time, um, Laban's sons begin to um, become a little unhappy with what's taking place. They feel like Jacob is taking advantage of Laban or taking over some of the stuff that that is owed to them. And Laban's attitude himself actually changes as well. And kind of at this point, God returns and tells Jacob that it's time for him to go home. And upon him sending him home, he reminds Jacob that he will be with him, Okay, which is a key promise we heard in the beginning and one again reaffirmed now that's going to be coming into the story. So Jacob, after leaving home with nothing, says later on that he he left with a walking stick, um, he now comes back home with plenty more. This is his first time coming back home, and he is going to see his brother Esau. The last time he had interacted with Esau, his mother Rebecca had told him that Esau was planning on killing him. And this is now going to be his return home, and you can see kind of the potential of some fear seeping in there. Uh, Maybe a similar story to what we hear of the prodigal son of now if return home with a lot of questions. How will I be received? Am I going to be welcomed? Am I going to be sent out with the pigs? Um, What's going to happen here? And so we can see Jacob maybe interacting with some of those feelings of of fear of what Esau is going to be planning for him. So out of that, he decides, I'm going to go ahead and send some messengers ahead, just some goodwill, build some, tell Esau, hey, I'm on my way back. Um, Here's some gifts for you. 
I hope you receive me well. And when his messengers return, he's actually told that Esau has already started making his way to Jacob, and not only making his way to him, but with an army of 400 men. So Jacob, already in a spot of thinking that Esau, upon his return, is planning on killing him, now knows that an army of men is coming towards him. Again, running to, he is going to kill me. So what we see here is a a scared, sort of desperate Jacob. And what he does is he decides, I'm going to break up my flocks, and I'm going to send them one by one spaced out, and that hopefully, as they keep meeting Esau, it'll just soften him up to be able to ease him into knowing that I'm here trying to earn favor and for his forgiveness. And that's kind of where we jump into here of our story of what we're looking at. Okay, so it tells us, the, the verses tell us that Jacob got up and he took his, his family across the, field, the board, and that after he had sent that across, he sent over all his possessions and he returns, and he was left alone. And I want to sit in that a little bit of being left alone because that's an interesting point to what develops in this story. This is a very similar point to how he left home in the first place, without anything. He was left alone. And when we see that first dream that he had with God, he was alone in that point. And we're going to see that kind of recreation here that comes um, in here. So he's alone, no distractions around. His possessions are gone, his family is gone, and it is dark at night, completely alone. Last week, we sang the song Blessings, and it has a line in there that says, what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And I've got to think that Jacob is embarking on one of those sleepless nights. Based on what we just know, what we just heard, of what he thinks is coming from Esau, he's got to be terrified. That's not something you lay down easy and say, I'm really tired today, let's just call it a night, and we'll, we'll see what happens in the morning. Okay, this is a moment where Jacob's going to be fighting a lot of feelings. I can be a worrier at times, and I know when, I, when it is night is my worst time for it. I've given up my, my duties for the day. I've laid down. I've pulled my sheets up. And that is when I feel the enemy attacking the most with those worries and concerns. And so we can get that feeling from Jacob of the concerns and fears of what he has building in this moment, this moment of solitude. And he can feel that there's an engagement here of that fear of what's going to take place. Now, immediately we're told that he's alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, we read along in the story, we know who this is, but Jacob at this point doesn't. It could be Esau, it could be one of his army men, it could be any number of people. All he knows is that he is engaged in a wrestling match, and we know that this wrestling match is a very long one, until daybreak. I wrestle with my kids, I play with them, they exhaust me after about five to ten minutes. I can't imagine how draining this would have been to be in this long of a wrestling, physical wrestling match until daybreak as it goes from there. And we see that as it ends, that Jacob has paid a physical price. And this is kind of our first sign in this story of what we're going to see to come, that closeness to God requires humility. Closeness to God requires humility. We see this physical price of this limp that Jacob leaves this this wrestling match with. And this is Jacob. We're talking about a very proud individual who has been very self-sufficient in his own eyes, very quick-witted, deceiving, manipulating, always trying his best to earn whatever he should get. And now he's given a point of a physical change as what we're going to see a representation of the humility that he is needing to engage with as he goes. And we see that after this this wrenching of the hip happens that the man says, let me go for it is daybreak. And this phrase, let me go, is interesting. We know at this point, we've read the story, that this is God that he is wrestling with. And so for a request to be made like let me go, Based on the attributes of God of what we know, there is no need for a request for him if he really needs to leave. Okay? We know that he is a powerful enough being to be able to do that himself. 
And so there's an interesting interaction going on here. And it kind of plays into um, almost that at times God will condescend himself more to our level to be able to engage with us more fully. Okay, and an example of way to think of that is, is a parent with their child, a parent with their baby. Um, I am much stronger than my kids, thankfully, right now. I know that day will change, but for right now, I, I bring myself to their level to be able to engage with them more equally and more fully. Same thing of talking to a baby. You engage with them. You babble with them. You try to just have that engagement level of what's taking place. Okay, could I use bigger words and a larger vocabulary? Absolutely, and they wouldn't understand a bit of it. Okay, but rather, God decides to engage with us to be able to engage more fully in this way. You see, in this let me go request, yes, God could leave if he wants to, but he also wants to see Jacob's response. There's a response here that he's waiting for Jacob from. Okay, he wants to see Jacob push back. All these times, Jacob's been chasing over his own blessing, trying to earn it different ways this way and that, and he wants to see Jacob push back against that and hang on tight to him during this difficult time. Not go running away because something became tough. Not go chasing something else because he can earn it somewhere else. But he wants to see Jacob hang on tight to him during this time of difficulty. We have another example in the New Testament of, of Jesus being pushed back a little bit and then granting a request from a Canaanite woman. In Matthew 15, 21 through 28, it says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. A denial. The woman knelt before him, Lord, help me. Can you hear me still? Is it coming back? Okay. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Again, a denial. And she says, Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have your request is granted. Switch. Okay. Um, your request is granted. Getting it on. Brad, perfect. Okay. Um, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So we see this example of Jesus, an initial pushback from the Canaanite woman. And his response is, you have great faith. Your request is granted. There is a precedent for this, okay? And we're going to see now how, ex how exactly is Jacob going to respond because God wants us to hang tight onto him even when it is tough and against the odds for us. God wants to see us push through those struggles. He wants us to see us hang on tight to him even when it is against the odds of what we should be doing. So what's Jacob do in response? We see Jacob come back to him, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you, best, unless you bless me. So he pushes back. I'm not going to let go. Now, it's hard to know exactly when Jacob discovers that he is wrestling with God himself. But clearly, Jacob knows that this is some sort of interaction with someone that he can receive a blessing from. Like we've seen, Jacob has always been chasing the next blessing. Okay? We saw it with selling the birthright from Esau. We saw it from stealing the, the blessing from Isaac. Okay? We, have, we have seen Jacob over and over again be looking for just that next blessing, that next thing. Okay, and he's, we start to see that he is putting his value in his own capabilities of earning his blessings, of receiving them any way possible, rather than trusting in God's capabilities and pr his promises that he've given, he's given him. Jacob is desperate to not give up until he receives his blessing. So that we see this man's response, and he says, what is your name? Again, we just talked about God's request to let him go. He doesn't necessarily need to request that. We see here, what is your name? 
Clearly, God knows who he is wrestling with. But the question here is not about God asking it. It's more about what's God looking for in response from Jacob. What he needs is he needs Jacob to confront his past. Previously, when we talked about Isaac and Jacob stealing the blessing for Esau, Jacob asked him, or um, Isaac asked him, who is it? Which, which son are you, Jacob or Esau? And Jacob says, it is Esau. He was given a chance then to acknowledge who he was, and he did not. And we're in a similar point here where God says, what is your name? And at this point, Jacob takes on the name Jacob. Okay, he is honest, and that honesty comes with all of his past in it too. Okay, he takes on everything that he has been, all of his past sin, all of his arrogance, all his deception, no longer hiding from Jacob and who he has been, but now starting a repentance trail of what it's going to be. So the man responds to this response. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, God overcomes our own struggles and doubts when we struggle with him. God overcomes our own struggles and doubts when we struggle with him. Okay, we've seen the request to let him go. We've asked him, we've seen him ask him to acknowledge who he is, and he responds with Jacob. And God is able to acknowledge and struggle, um, come overcome our own struggles and doubts when we are willing to struggle through things with him. So in turn, Jacob says, please tell me your name. He replies, why do you ask my name? And then he blesses him there. Now we know from a couple weeks ago that Jacob had already received a blessing in his dream. He was told of, again, the descendants, the protection, the return home. And again, Jacob is, is asking for another blessing. And it's, it's kind of an interesting point here. So what exactly is he looking for? And I don't think it's that he's necessarily looking for anything different. I think it's more of God blesses him as a reaffirmation of what he has already said. Okay, this blessing doesn't necessarily mean that's now a change or that it's something new, but rather just reaffirming Jacob in his moment of need of what he was needing from God himself there. Again, this is similar to me telling my kids that I love them. Okay, it wasn't the day they were born. I said it to them and said, you're good to go. You know it's true and never said again. Okay, it is a daily occurrence of me reaffirming my feelings and my love and my care for them. Okay, not because it's changed not because of um, some circumstance that took place, but just the, rep the repeating action of reaffirming them in whatever feelings they may be going through, whether it's doubt or fear or struggle. I want them at all costs to know that I love them. And we see God noticing that Jacob needs this again, the reaffirmation and by blessing him again there. We see soon after that that we've seen another name change, okay? Jacob acknowledging that this place is now different, so he changes the name of this hill to Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob's acknowledgement of who is he wrestling with and thankfulness that he was not destroyed, the amazing power of that wrestling match, the acknowledgement of what he had been going through, the recognition of his sin, and then a repentance toward it, now noticing the change that was taking place to honor that place there for his match with God himself. You see, change only comes from God himself. There is nothing that we can do that will redeem us. Okay, we see in Jacob's early life through his deception and his manipulation um, that, that he wasn't able to earn anything. We see of his doing right, he served Laban very well, even when he was deceived. He spent a number of years there serving Laban and working hard. That was not able to redeem him. But rather in this interaction here, we see that God himself is the only one who can provide that change. So he comes again and again to Jacob, offering that grace and that change of what exactly it is. And God's grace extends to us, even through our unworthiness. This wasn't a point where Jacob had finally put it all together and figured it out. He was sitting by himself alone 
in fearful trembling of what was going to be coming that next day. And we see that God comes and meets him in his brokenness, in his fear, in his unworthiness, and he meets him again. His grace is fully shown again. Now, as we looked through this passage, um, some things stood out to me just again and again. We see a, a variety of names being brought up and changed and acknowledged. We see that God changes Jacob's name to Israel. We see Jacob's request of knowing the name of the man. Then we see the change of, of the name of that place to Peniel. And we've seen this in other stories that we've gone through as well. Um, and we've seen the change from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And we see these down the road in the Bible again, of uh, just a transformational change through a name change. And it really got me to thinking of what exactly is in a name. And as I thought about it, I, I came back to um, the process of naming our own kids. Um, my wife and I, we found out, had very different ways of wanting to do that. Thankfully, our kids all have names today, but I was a, I was a, we've, we've kind of decided, great, that's the name, and we're good to go. Risa was more on the, let's try it for a couple weeks. If it sticks, great. If not, we can come back and revisit, and um, like I said, they're all named, which is fantastic. Um, but as I thought about each of them, um, our firstborn, Theodore, his name means gift of God, and, and is he ever? I, I see that in him. He is a, a kind individual, a kind kid. He cares about others very empathetic, he feels feelings, he feels those emotions, and I see his giftedness towards other people. Now, I want to emphasize that is not his only attribute. It does not also mean that my other kids are not gifts of God, okay? But rather, it is a way that it kind of sets a framework of what I can see in that way of what that exactly means. Same thing goes for Lewis. His name means mighty warrior, and I see that in him. He's more of our quiet one, and he sticks things through when they get tough, and he perseveres things are not going the way they should be, okay? And I see those attributes. And again, it does not mean that that is his only characteristic, his only attribute, but rather just kind of gives a lens of how it's kind of viewed from there, okay? And it goes on and on. And I'll be honest, my name is Eric, and I have no plans on changing that anytime soon, okay? So I don't know that I'm going to go through that process. But what I came to is that we are all told that the same name change can be true for us today, too. We see that when Christ came and when he died... And when he was resurrected, that we were all given an opportunity to be renamed as children of God. When I think about my, my grandmother, Grace, we talked about at the beginning, her name means favor or blessing. And she blessed so many people in her actions. But it's not because her earthly name was Grace, but it's because she lived by the grace of God. And she was able to impact so many other people because of the recognition of the change that took place in her life. And the same thing can be true for us, that we are offered through God's grace, through Jesus' death and resurrection, to be called children of God and have that new name taken upon us. Now, we're told this many, many times. In the, the book of Galatians 3.26, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Again, a new beginning. We see that our identity is in Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, these changes kind of take place, and we have this offering of a new name as a child of God. Okay? It does still happen. God's grace was extended to Jacob. We see in his fear, in his trembling, and in his confusion, he was given a new name, and he was let free of that guilt that he was living with. I'm going to ask the band to please come forward. And as they do, there's just one question that kept um, coming up as I went through this is, is I want us to kind of sit in and think through what name is identifying you right now? What label, what name is identifying you right now? Because we all came in this Sunday morning with very different weeks. 
We all came in with very different burdens. There may be a heavy burden or a heavy weight that's coming with you. Okay, and I want to, to kind of sit in what exactly is identifying you right now. Is it that you're lonely? Is it that you're unlovable, not good enough? Is it that you're angry? And what exactly are you allowing to identify yourself when Jesus is here saying that he wants to give you a new free name of child of God? We see how that Jacob was in a very, very fearful point and a chance of probably maybe being scared, lonely, questioning, wondering. And we saw that God was able to come and meet him in that moment. And then God asked, who, is you? who are you? What is your name? And his name was Jacob, where he was able to struggle with God in that moment, was he was able to stick with him, and that God was able to work with him in that struggle. And so I asked, what are you struggling with this morning? What's your identifying point, and what is it that you need to be releasing of to struggle with God with, to allow him to work through you so that you can have that moment of peace? God wants you to struggle through with him because his grace is still extended to you. Would you pray with me?